The American public is not feeling it. Just 34% of Americans approve of Biden's handling of the economy in a recent AP poll that was released at the end of June. And only 20% of voters believe the nation is on the right track, though voters have not felt good about the direction of the country for over a decade. And Biden is trying to persuade voters that the economy is better than they think it is. Lots of parts of the world are exacerbating the problem right now. But when you have bombs going off and you have damage to septic tanks or to power centers, etc., you have an enormous release of, uh, of greenhouse gas, of methane, of, you know, all of the family of greenhouse gases. And the result is it's adding uh, to the problem. I'm not, you know, believe me, that's uh, the fight in Ukraine is a fight that we have to make, that the world has to make. The values at stake are enormously important to all of us. So I'm not suggesting by any fashion that that this is not a fight we shouldn't be involved in. But I am saying that there are ancillary impacts as a result of it. This campaign is founded on the truth. Here's a truth of how political fundraising actually works. There's a tiny group, it's an oligopoly of people who raise money, bundling and otherwise, who get to keep a large percentage, sometimes up to 10% of what they actually raise. That doesn't make any sense to belong to a small group of people. I don't like this system as it exists, but if that's the system we're going to have, my view is let's democratize that and make it possible for everybody to make money as well. So if you're supporting me and you're part of this movement and you want to help us actually raise that money, join my kitchen cabinet, new program we're launching, where you help me raise the money, you get a unique link to do it, but the money you raise, you get to keep 10% of it. Why should it be some member of some managerial class that's a secret closeted group of fundraisers in the cloistered world of politics? It shouldn't be. What we saw last week, affirmative action, again, taking away, taking away important constitutional rights that have been in place for a long time. Let's not forget this, the president was when he was a senator, he was the chair of the Judiciary Committee. He is an expert on this. He understands how this works. A lot of these, um, you know, a lot of these unprecedented decisions that this SCOTUS has made, they have been held up in the past by Republicans, by Democrats. Right. And so there's so much changes that have happened in the past year. And it is it is, you know, unheard of. Children are the kite strings. They're not somebody else's. They're all our children. Are the kite strings that lift our national ambitions aloft. And you hold those strings. You hold those strings. The bag was discovered on the ground floor in a common area near the entry to the West Wing, not far from the Situation Room. It was close to a set of storage cubbies where visitors leave their cell phones during a tour. The Secret Service is leading the investigation, looking at visitor logs and camera surveillance. This episode shines a light on the fact that you can bring in illegal substances into the White House. So what's preventing a visitor from bringing in anthrax or something that's not magnetic into the White House? I totally understand the question, but it is under investigation. So we're going to let the Secret Service do their job. I'm just not going to get ahead of, of if or, or whens or changes. Welcome 
back to the Unregulated Podcast. This is episode number 139 here on Tuesday, July 11th, and I am your co-host, Tom Pyle. And I'm your co-hostess, Mike McKenna, who still doesn't have any pictures to sign for our fast legion of fans. We got a really special show today. Originally, we were just going to interview this guy, and then, you know, we decided after a bourbon... We decided he's going to be the co-host for the next hour. Man, of this power and eminence has to be the co-host. Ladies and gentlemen, introduce you to Travis Fisher, who is an energy guru here in Washington, who's been a guest on the podcast in the past, who has had Mr. McKenna on his podcast over at the Venerable Heritage Foundation. Travis, introduce yourself to our huge, huge audience. Welcome to the program. But keep it short. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Mike. I'm just going to say I appreciate the bourbon. There we I go. don't know Wait, what else welcome. there is to say. That's a, that's All a... right. So, <laughs> okay. so Biden's numbers. How's that Bidenomics thing going? Uh, 34% approve and 64% disapprove of Biden's handling of the economy. You think they're a little off message? It's a, it's a, it's a different way to start a campaign, right? I'm going to go right to my weakness and argue that first. It. They think... Eh, you know, they think that, hey, we're going to talk about all the investments, investments, put that in quotes, ladies and gentlemen, the federal spending from the inf infrastructure thing and the debt deal that the Republicans made to throw up, throw up on their own shoes over and um, and uh, and uh, the, the IRA. And, hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to talk about all the plan openings. And what they don't understand is everybody, everyone realizes this economy through inflation. It's the, it's the fundamental fact of this inflation of this economy. I don't understand it. Purchasing power is down like five thousand bucks, right, um, per year for the average family. That's a lot. All right. So, uh, special K, our oh, envoy. Boy. Oh boy. Special envoy, climate envoy John Kerry says, yeah. the Russian war is causing climate damage, climate change. Yeah. What is that? What was it? The septic? The septic, septic tanks. Septic tanks. That's, is that the, the methane? That's the main, that's that's the the main thing one? he's focusing on. Septic tanks. You know, here's the thing. It 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 may be time. He's 77 years old. It's probably time for him to go. The rumor is, is that he's going to go to this conference of the parties, right? This cop. When is it? August? He's going to go to this cop and then quit. I hope that's right. I don't know. He's coming up to the Hill on Thursday to the House Foreign Relations Committee. I am willing to make a – I'm glad you brought that up because I want to make a prediction right now. Last-minute cancellation. He will no-show. I guarantee no, he's going to no-show. We got – our staff is putting up uh, together some nice questions. I'm sure they are. Everybody is. Top 10 questions for special envoy carry. He, I guarantee he will no-show. Vivek says uh, these oligarchs, these, these pernicious fundraisers, this – evil awful class of professional consultants are suck, suck making politics and industry and he wants to change that he wants you to earn 10 percent of every dollar you raise for yeah payback. you know what i don't understand is well, i mean what i do understand is that right that's a fairly common thing among among fundraisers usually you get a third of what you bring in it's a, it's a negotiated thing everybody has a different number right so um, he's so he's cheating his yeah, well, the small donors. Uh, let's put 20 this way. Or let, what? Let's put it this way. I've never heard of a number lower than twenty percent. I'm I'm impressed that he knows it. So somebody must must somebody must be talking to him about like professionals do. Um, I'm a little concerned that he said it at ten percent because, like you say, going rates twenty or thirty percent now. 
No, but I like it though. It's it reminds folks that you know we all always say this: win or lose, they all get paid every cycle. They are they are not as invested in the outcome. The operatives and the fundraisers. The operatives and the fundraisers are not invested in the outcome. Yeah. I thought I thought he was going somewhere different with the kitchen cabinet thing. I thought he was going to say, and for the low low price of five bucks, you can get a, a seat in my cabinet. Well, and he's, he's just going to expand it to you know thousands of people. Well, you know that's been his thing, right? He's just hey, send me a buck, send me a buck, send me a buck. He was so he's got his forty thousand unique donors, so he's going to be on the stage at the at the first debate, at least the first three, I think. Yeah, whether that's have any value at this point because. President's going to skip it. If President if President Trump now President skips it. High likelihood DeSantis skips it. It's going to become a. It's going to become Asa Hutchinson talking to Vivek Ramaswamy. That's uh, that's that's must see TV, man. You saying you're not going to go to that one? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, I have um, two issues with uh, KGP's. Just two. KJP's. Just two. Just two. The. I'm going to skip over the whole constitutional rights thing. Okay. So the two issues I have are the two glaring, tense mistakes that she made as the press secretary. You can talk about the whole constitutional rights thing about the affirmative action. She's a historic figure. That's all I'm going to say. I just want to point that out. She's this person you're about to you're about to smack around. She's a historic figure. Now go ahead. Uh, It's George Washington. The president of the United States should be able to have a basic command of grammar. I just think that should be a prerequisite. I don't know how you guys feel about it, but that's why I will never be a press secretary because if you listen to this program, 138 episodes, I'm the guy who makes most of the grammatical errors in this in this ep- in this program. So all right, Biden. Biden. Oh. Kite yeah. strings or something, kite strings and 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 our children. What is up with the all our they're all our children crap? Yeah. It is a so what it's a string with all of these folks, and yeah. it bothers the it really must annoy regular people when they hear that. Uh, you know, I think people aren't attuned to it. They they hear our children and they they um they hear that phrase our children and they assume, oh, he means our children, like the children of the nation, and blah blah blah. You know, my I have a long history with this, right? My old man um, litigated the first homeschool cases in New York State, right, back in the late 60s. So I've been dealing with these guys forever. And I've always been very clear that when they say our children, they mean they mean they intend to raise your children. And that's that's by the way, that cuts across politicians, state state run schools. Everybody on the left thinks that. You know and, the and, tell with, with <clears throat> is particularly with in this instance is he had to go back and read that part yeah. of the in the in the in the teleprompter. Yeah. Like that is a code. That's Democrat code stuff. You know, we, they're all our children. Yeah, that's right. And we talked about this a couple of years ago, and I, I said something to you at the time, we and I'll stick by it. On right? the podcast? In one of the first podcasts, yeah. Good Lord, it's been that um, long. Yeah, and, and I said this at the time, and, and I'll I'll dig it up if I have to. It was, it was that this particular fight, I have been waiting for this fight to be upon us for yeah. a generation, and here it is. And it's it, already taken down a and, governor. And, that's right. McAuliffe. That's right. And once... Once regular parents understand the language, like we understand the language, they are going to become radicalized. And once you radicalized mothers, especially, they're not going to become unradicalized. And, and again, it 
it points also to the increasingly uh, singular blo- voting block of single women without children in the Democratic Party. Sure, man. They don't care. Well, for their for they're, for them, they are they are are. Well, that's my point. Children, yeah. that's for them. That might be a positive. That's right. right? That's right. It, it's it's a it's a serious problem. Well, yeah, and the, and the the shift that's interesting here. They say our children because if it's if it really is their children, it's not indoctrination. It's just parenting. You know, it's just good parenting. It's good raising. Right. But of course, if you zoom out and you're like, well, who is it that's trying to? What are they trying to teach? This is just indoctrination. But they just gave it a different word. Did, did you see that thing in California, the state legislator, or some language that they're trying to run through that, like, you can't parent your child about the the whole, like, if they want to be a boy or a girl kind yeah. of thing? That's, yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's you know, that that is, of course, you know, um, general mutilation. Mutilation is, of course, the most egregious example of what we're talking about, right? You can't, schools can't. In some states, can't share with parents the, um, that the kid, the child in question, wants wants to um, thinks they want to be mutilated. It's we're going to wind up in a situation um, where thirty five states are going to be right as rain, and ten states are going to be as wrong as they can be, and five are going to be battlegrounds. And you, know, you look you can at say this, that about so many issues exactly. Now, and right? I really hesitate to say this. But you, you know, you keep saying that to your point, you keep seeing that same pattern over and over again. Um, How long is it before um, those 35 states and those 10 states just look at each other and say, "Eh, let's let's do this all over again? Maybe maybe we should think about this. Tells me is there's no line. They, they, They don't draw the line anywhere. Talking about like, well, how young is too young? We're talking teenagers, young teenagers getting life altering surgeries. It's like they just don't have a line. So if you ask them where, where the line is, they just they don't have one. That's right. And it, that's you know that's the thing about it. If you're you think about it, if you're prepared to cut the penis off of a ten year old boy, what are you not prepared to do to advance the revolution? Sorry, Tom. Go ahead. Exactly. All right. <laughs> if you want, okay. So the Babylon Bee sent out a, a, a front page a story. After discovering cocaine in the White House, Biden Biden promises to fix immigration, inflation, the Ukraine war, student debt, climate change, hotel fees, infrastructure, balance the budget, and redesign the Rose Garden by 4 a.m. on Monday. <laughs> yeah. Who? Okay. Yeah. I, I, Who brought the blow into the White House? Who brought the white stuff into the White House? Yeah. Hmm. <sighs> It looks super bad that it showed up after Hunter was there. I mean, it just, it's just I, you know, the answer is. <laughs> it looks super bad. Could have been brought in any time. Is that all you got? It looks super it, bad. It looks super bad. The other thing that looks. Right great, after he, right after, as last week we pointed out, they settled all family business. The other thing that looks super bad is. That, is that it was it was clearly the the initial report was it was found in the library, right? In the residence, right after Hunter had actually been in the library. Now. Here's the thing about it, and we're never going to find out because this, stuff, this stuff's going to go in a deep, dark hole. Library's always under video surveillance. So Secret Service knows the truth. That family knows the truth. We're never going to hear the truth. And then all of a sudden it was like, no, no, no. It was baggy found by the um, exec, by the West exec entrance. I'm like, you mean like somebody – here's the thing about the West exec, exec entrance you got to know about. There's a there's a uniformed Secret Service guy who stands 
sits eight feet from the door. Yeah. And this whole space is in as big as a studio, basically. You can't walk in there and just drop a baggie full of cocaine yeah, without that guy just, saying, just, just, just hey, ridiculous. friend, could you stop here for a second? This would be like it's a ridiculous. complete scandal in any other time in our history. It, uh, so. whatever, whatever. I, I cracks just, me The up. point being is, is that there, it would be covered, right? It's not even covered. I, so. You know, the media is what it is. It sounds a little bit like, uh, you know that game Clue? It was Hunter in the library with the with the candlestick <laughs> with the, with, doing the blow with a so, with a not a paper straw with you know, a plastic straw. Your 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 very your very good <laughs> friend, the press secretary, um, declared I think on Friday that even asking questions about it was grossly irresponsible. I'm like you can't even ask questions about this stuff anymore. Is that what it's become? By the this... way, by the way. Just want to point out once again, the press secretary is a historic figure, and I mean no disrespect to her whatsoever. Walk a mile in her shoes, man. Go ahead. All right, announcements. What do you got? What do you got, co-hosts? Uh, I have two announcements. Um, uh, one is very good. One is yeah, progress, I suppose. Um, John, I want to welcome John Frederick Austin to our um, listenership, our our merry band of listeners. He is, of course, the brand new son of Anne Austin and her husband, Jay. I'm going to guess Jay. Anne, if I got that wrong, let me know. I seem to remember he has a perfectly functioning normal first name like Jim or John, but he calls himself Jay. I don't know why. Um, but he seems like a nice guy. And um, and I know Anne is a, is a nice lady. And I assume baby Johnny... Is a good kid. Should we call him Johnny or Jack? Let us know. That's uh, announcement one. Announcement well, two is there were. Oh, sorry, no, I was going to say he's probably been a listener already. If, he has been. I'm a couple right? of weeks late on yeah. this. I'm very sorry so, about that. That's okay. Uh, announcement number two is I want to commend Brown University. There was a survey out. Um, I want to say on uh, what day is today? Thursday. There was a survey out on Tuesday. Tuesday. This is Tuesday. This is Tuesday. Yeah. Okay. There was a I, I mixed my week. I missed my day of the week last week. There was a survey out on Monday, yesterday, that showed uh, that indicated that thirty-six uh, percent of uh, of the students at Brown University uh, uh, did not identify themselves as heterosexual. So I want to commend Brown University for um, for getting their number of heterosexual students up to sixty-four percent. That's pretty good for Brown. You know when I was. Yeah, is this going to make the, the cutting room floor? I don't know. You know when I was, <laughs> so they're they're bucking the trend. They're going the other way. When I was in the Ivies, I would have guessed maybe half of Brown students were heterosexual. So, so good work for our friends over at Brown. Keep up the good work. They're picking it up. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I want to announce that I um, on the, on America's birthday, two hundred forty seventh birthday of the great state of America the great country of America, I achieved a milestone. My 30th ballpark. I've got all 30. Hit the Miami Marlins Stadium, Lone Depot Park, I think it's called these days. So, sort of a major league team. Big. Well, they're actually doing better than the Yankees. They're doing better than the Mets. So, uh, and I will. <laughs> I would like to give a shout out to my son and my youngest daughter, Santino and Lara, started a wave. Went around four times. Very impressed. 
very, very impressed. That's that was the highlight of their that's whole. How, that's how bored game. the fans were. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, all right, let's get into it. Um, this day in history in 1656. What Travis, Mike, what do you think? What is it? July 11th in 1656. 1656. I'll give you a hint. It's a north. It's a the first mass holes set foot on, on this on this continent. First, talking about the landing at Plymouth Rock. The no, first Quaker colonists land at Boston. Oh, in Quakers. 1656. Quakers. Yeah. I knew Anne I was going to Mary Fisher, fortune. two English women, became the first Quakers to immigrate to the American colonies. When the ship carrying them lands at Boston, in the Massachusetts Bay Colony, the, probably... the pair came from Barbados, where Quakers had established a center for missionary work. They were promptly thrown in jail by the Puritans and the Congregationalists and weren't let out again until the 20th century. 1804, gentlemen. 1804 on this day. Aaron Burr. In Jersey. Aaron Burr shot Alexander Hamilton to death. Bing, bing, ding, ding. Good job, man. You always get one, at least one a week. Yeah, thank you. you I really appreciate do. that. I'm very impressed. The only thing that happened in 1804 is pretty Now, easy. this is odd and unusual, and I don't see, I don't personally pick the day of the week. But? But in 1914, this happened. 1914, July. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. July, what is it? July what? 11th. July 11th, He's 1914? Been, he, has, he has shown up prominently on this day in history recently. You were talking about Franz Ferdinand. He got buried. No. Uh, George Herman, George Babe Herman. Ruth, yeah. played in his first Major League Baseball game Okay. for the Boston Red Sox. That's how we are. We're Americans. We don't care about the growing, the coming war in Europe. Yeah, We're yeah, worried about yeah, baseball. Not worried about that. 1955, final this day in history in 1955 on this day. A branch of the armed services. Oh, the Air Force was established. Yeah, the U.S. Air Force Academy officially opened up temporary headquarters at Lowry Air Force Base in Denver, Colorado. 1955. Yeah. yeah. So. I knew I was going to be useless for that portion, but I, I also resisted the temptation to look up the this day in history stuff. Oh, I, you did? I, did, I didn't want to cheat. Do I don't want to cheat. I'm a, I'm a fair loser. I, I want to commend all the veterans of the chair force. Um, looking forward to you joining the American military at any time. All right. Fair enough. All right. Let's start. Let's do energy, cars, climate, electricity. That's what we're here for. Uh, I, I, I haven't heard from him in a while, so I wanted to... Uh, Get another special K into the into the mix. Let's play the clip. There's a full understanding here, particularly with the evidence of the last few weeks piling on, that when scientists are telling us that they are terrified by what they're seeing, and when we hear those same scientists telling us that we are in uncharted territory, this group has come together to try to figure out, okay, how do we deploy the funds necessary to invest to create the new clean energy economy? And I'm glad to say uh, you recognize many of the people here, your Majesty and your Mr. President, you've been with them before. They represent literally trillions of dollars, either invested or of assets under management or assets owned. And they are making decisions every single day about how to accelerate this transition. All right, let me clarify what 
he should have said. They are making decisions every single day about how to screw up an energy system that was once so good and once so reliable and once so affordable so that you, your voters, your constituents can no longer afford it. If it's even available to them. You know who they are, Mr. President. <laughs> the craziest part. So with that video, Biden does not have a good poker face. His majesty had a decent poker face. Biden did the like hold his, he put his fingers to his, the, the bridge of his nose and he was just like, oh God. <laughs> Here he goes Here again. Here he goes again. Special K is going off again. And this time in front of the king. It was, the most it was in- weird. The most interesting part of that is? He essentially acknowledged everything we've been saying about ESG for years. Yeah. That these guys are making decisions. They're sitting around. They're making They're the decisions. smartest guys on the planet. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, most of the a lot of the money is coming from taxpayers. Yeah, you know, that not that that not they're not they're not taking care of like what the shareholders' preferences are. They themselves are making decisions. So I want to thank Special Envoy Kerry for confirming what we all knew but didn't have perfect evidence about. So, good. I'm looking now, forward to his testimony in the event he shows up. You predicted that King Charles would move on from this nonsense in a previous podcast. Yeah. I still think he will. But it appears he hasn't thus far. Well, he's only been king for, like, what, 12 minutes? He only got 12 more, so he's, guess, he's, he's gone through half no, his monarchy. That's, that's not true. <laughs> he'll, he'll, he'll be the king for 25 years. Oh, so, so long as grandmother lived, so long as mother lived, so long he's going to live. It could be that he was just being polite. He didn't say anything. He just stood there. Yeah, like, he, was, he was way more polite than Biden, who was doing the, jeez. Yeah. All right. Uh, this again. Since we took a week off, we got a lot to cover. This came out from, uh, this was in the Wall Street Journal last week from our friend Steve Coonan. Yeah. The White House tells the truth about climate change. Report reveals that global temperature changes barely affects economic growth. Journalist Michael Kinsley famously noted that a gaffe is when a politician tells the truth by that standard. The White House committed a doozy in March when it released a paper on climate change's effect on the U.S. economy. Its findings undermine any claims of an ongoing climate crisis or imminent catastrophe. This report from the CEA, the Council of Economic Advisors, uh, assessed how the economic consequences of climate change could be integrated into federal budgeting. The report's first figure reproduced nearby shows 12 independent peer-reviewed estimates of how America's GDP would decline as the global temperature rises. Did you catch this article? No, I did. So anyway, uh, I'm going to put it in the show notes. Coonan is uh, is now at NYU. I think that's right. Uh, and he's at Hoover, and um, he was an Obama guy, Obama right? guy. He was Obama's uh, deputy secretary. So he's slowly energy. and systematically not being invited to the parties these days. So. That's interesting. You know, it you know, McKinsey's estimated that it's going to cost $275 trillion to get to net zero by the end of the century. That's a lot of money for no effect on the economy or the environment. Just saying. All right. So apparently it doesn't matter if you put into law an authorization to approve a pipeline. Yeah, I'm actually I'm in favor of this, which so, you're, uh, you're about to read. I'm in Politico, favor of it. You also got to yesterday, know. Well, go ahead. Appeals court orders temporary halt to Mountain Valley Pipeline construction. Stay was ordered despite language in the new debt ceiling law directing agencies to issue permits needed 
for the controversial pipeline. This was the fourth district. Yeah, it was the fourth district, and they issued a stay. Here's the. Go ahead. You want to read? No, I, I was merely going to say that the judge argue agreed with the Wilderness Society that um, they didn't they didn't weigh the request to review the Interior Department's record of decision allowing pipeline construction in the National Forest to begin. They made an Administrative Procedures Act argument in essence, and the judge agreed. Yeah, there are two things about this. First off, this the initial the initial um, the initial injunction, initial stay, which was it's an injunction, I assume. The initial injunction was issued yesterday, and it just dealt with the part of the world that the part of the pipeline that went through the Jefferson National Forest. Um, about two hours ago, the Fourth Circuit expanded the stay to include everything on the pipeline. So, and we're no doubt going to the Supreme Court on this, and we should. And I'll tell you exactly the language that's going to give the Supreme Court difficulty here. Inside the legislation, there's language that specifically says, there's a provision in here that, that says, this legislation is not subject, shall not be subject to judicial review. They're going to want to adjudicate that. You can't, sure. you can't, you can't, that can't, the courts cannot allow that to stand. It, it would, it would upend 230 odd years, 220 odd years of American jurisprudence. They're going to have to strike that. And when they strike that, we're going to be right back to square one on this whole legislation, this whole this whole bill, <laughs> this whole project. It, I will I will say what I have said before. I, I don't mean in a bad way, but Senator Manchin just is not good at this legislative drafting stuff. He's just he's, this he's was, just not good. I thought good. this was a uh, negotiation with Garrett Graves. I, I, Garrett Graves isn't good at this drafting stuff either. I don't understand what is what is it with these guys. Get some get some ledge counsel help before you do this. I mean I, whatever. Did I not did I not say this on the did I not say this the day this thing passed? I'm like, this is not gonna happen this way. Go ahead. You did say it, and it got me thinking. I was I was thinking in terms of look, if if that's all Congress has to do is say, by the way, courts cannot review this. (laughs) Yeah. Why not just put that in every single bill? It's just it's 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 a ridiculous on its face, it's a ridiculous thing for Congress to try to do, right? You know, when the Supreme Court gets it, there's gonna be guys on the Supreme Court like, you know, we should defer to Congress when we can, and we should like this. This pipeline is probably a good idea, and blah blah blah. But I think I think you're going to get a nine zero out of the Supreme Court. Yeah, so like, you know what that's the, gone. You know the problem the problem for the Biden administration is it doesn't matter what they do for for Mansion until and after uh, next April, because that's when this third way or this th- the, what is that that debt lefty group that's, no labels no labels has their nominating convention in like April of next year. So as long as Manchin doesn't affirmatively say he's not running for re-election for Senate or affirmatively say he's running or not running for president, he's just going to be a pain in their ass between now and next April, no he's matter gonna, he's what. Gonna be right? pain, he's going to be a pain all the way in. Let me can I, You want to keep on energy and environment? You want to take a detour no. into electoral stuff for 10 seconds? Yeah, sure. Why not? Let's take a detour into electoral stuff America. for 10 seconds. Yeah, I appreciate that. The real the real thing that's going on with respect to the election and third parties is Cornell West and the Green Party, right? They're on ballot in 23 states already, including Wisconsin, oh, yes. Michigan, yes. New Mexico. Um, Cornell West is a legit candidate. Um, Ralph Nader, the spoiler Green, type. The Green Party is a legit party. And Dave Axelrod, of all people, detoured out of his way to write in an Atlantic article that um, 
he looks at Cornell West and sees Jill Stein in 2016, right, who a lot of people in the, on the Democratic Party blame for Hillary Clinton's defeat in 2016. I think it's nonsense, but it doesn't really matter what I think. They think it. So Joe Manchin is going to be a problem even after July, April, whenever, because Cornell West is their real problem, and they, don't, they have nothing to give Cornell West and the progressives. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a great election. I'm glad I'm here to see it. <laughs> All right, so let's shift back to energy. I'll turn it over to our new guest, co-host. You got anything for us? Yeah, I want to talk about heat waves All and right. the power grid. Let's do it. I'm hearing a lot of this where it's basically, look, power grids are stressed because climate, climate change. change. And okay. it's always take the thing that you don't like and you blame, you know, blame climate change. Or what? take the thing you're responsible for and shift the blame on the thing that you you, you use the thing you that screwed up the problem in the first place so you don't have responsibility for it that's exactly so that's what we're hearing it's it has nothing to do for example with too much wind too much solar too much all the unreliable stuff that we know about it has nothing to do with that of course is temperatures so uh i just want to flag that for folks this is not at all a climate change problem this is a self-inflicted wound from everything from we've had Tax credits for decades. This stuff is just cracking in. It's going to be, it's going to be a problem. It's going to be more and more of a problem every single year. And if if it's not a reliability problem, which I think it is, then it's going to be a cost problem because we're going to have to bail out power plants that work. I mean, that's kind of wh where we are now. It's like these things are going out of business. Somebody's going to have to come in and say, actually, we don't, we can't close all of these things. Let's bail them out. So then it's just a subsidy and bailout scheme. It's it's going to be a mess. Anything on that, Mike? But it's no. not the heat. No? No. You got I, something to say about everything. I don't really about? want to get chippy on our on our co-host. Uh, go for it. No. Get him, in the, get him in the fire. Just keep moving. All right. What else? What do you have? Anything on energy? What do I have? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because I got a lot more and I don't want to, you know. I don't, is, are you done? I was pretty much done. I, I don't mind getting chippy, though, Mike. Go ahead. No, I don't want to get chippy. Um, He's got more articles, I'm sure. That's what we'll I'm saying. We'll he probably came, he came with a bunch of articles. Yeah, no, the only thing I want to point out is that President Trump once again alerted every, that sigh. Once again alerted everybody <laughs> that, that sigh. <laughs> once again alerted everybody that, you know, if elected, he's not going to be that good as a president. He And Iowa, you know, in Iowa, you got up and said, I protected the farmers. I preserved ethanol. And, and how does this... And Ron DeSantis Blank repay me. Ron DeSantis was opposed to it and blah blah blah. And I'm like, you know, sport fans, I get it. The fight over ethanol is over and I'm I'm fighting a battle from like, you know, the twentieth century. But I just want to remind everybody that ethanol is in fact not a positive for the environment, not a positive for energy, not a positive for the economy, not even really a positive for the people of Iowa. It's it's it the benefits are located in a relatively small, very well-off group of people. Do you in remember Iowa. the focus group we went to? Where yes. The HVAC guy. Yes. In in was it Des Moines? Yes. Where he was like, so I see a bunch of farmers run, driving around in Mercedes. Yeah. But that's about all I've seen in terms of the benefit of the ethanol program. That's, and that's and that's a perfect that is a perfect summation. And I was very discouraged that Mr. Trump chose that particular thing to say in Iowa. And there's so many, 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 many things to say about energy. And you know what the only good news about it is, is that it, it has encouraged me to actually write like what five or six things could you really do 
if you wanted to make a difference in American energy. Well, that's good because we're going to be drafting that legislation later this summer. So I'm looking forward know, to your this article. We, well, we, we, the collective. Corporate we. we the, the, the collective. King we. Charles and you. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. That's a, that, the ethanol was the only other thing I wanted it's okay. to mention. It's okay. The ethanol so guys are onto their next grift. I'm sure. They're working diligently to secure millions and millions of dollars for CO2 pipe. Yeah, carbon capture. Yeah. To traverse their, their fine state. Good for them. So, and they're going to get it too. They're farmers. They're going to get it. They're going to you know get it. Their general theory of the world is it doesn't matter because someone's always going to pay us off. And you know what? They're right. They've been getting paid so off for maybe 100 years. This whole moving the primary, Democrats moving the primary out of Iowa isn't that terrible. No, who cares? Who cares? Doesn't matter. That's true. Doesn't matter. I mean, like, Santorum won in 2016. Cruz won in. Cruz won in 2016. Santorum won in 2012. 2016. Yeah. Cruz also massaged the 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 ethanol thing a little bit. I just get up and say, "Look, I'm opposed to it. Thanks." All right, you flagged me this. You said to send put this. Did you say to put this in the pipe, or you said podcast? Podcast. Politico Pro, which we don't have a subscription for because we would never do that. Um. United Airlines CEO warns of more weather delays as climate warms. Alex, air travelers is Alex Darty. 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 Air travelers should brace for even more of the delayed and canceled flights that have made flying so miserable recently. United Airlines CEO Scott Kirby said Tuesday. <laughs> All because of climate change. More heat in the atmosphere. Thermodynamics 101. We're going to have more thunderstorms, this apparent climate expert and CEO of United Airlines stated at a Politico event on reauthorizing the FAA. As an example, Kirby said that almost a week of thunderstorms west of Newark Liberty International Airport crippled his airline's operations ahead of the July 4th holiday. Now, I have a friend. We have a friend, a listener to the podcast, Steve, who is a victim of climate change because he was trying to get his way back from his vacation and was stuck in Newark for a good couple of days. And his luggage is still floating around somewhere in the ether. I was going to so. say, I just want to blame all of my shortcomings on climate change. Just what, whatever it is that I did wrong that day. Like, oh, you know, this climate change, I'll tell you, man, buckle up. It's only going to get worse from here. This is where we're the going. The thing that I did wrong today, definitely climate so change. So what do you think, what's Kirby want out of the FAA on climate change? Kirby said, instead of planting trees, United is focused on expanding the use of sustainable aviation fuel, which Kirby called currently uneconomic and expensive. How's that going to help with thunderstorms? Am I, did I, should I not ask that question? Here's the grift. It's not going to happen tomorrow, Kirby said, but he noted that the Inflation Reduction Act makes it closer to a reality since it included a per gallon tax credit of up to one dollar and 75 cents on sustainable aviation fuels that reduce greenhouse gas emissions by at least 50 percent doesn't reduce greenhouse gas emissions at all i'm so tired of this propaganda i really am ladies and gentlemen i got asked this the other day whether the folks on the right were winning or losing this environmental did I ask contest somebody did i, I don't even was remember who it was you? no 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 that you weren't there no it was somebody somebody asked me yeah we're losing or winning and blah 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 i'm like you know what i don't care here's the facts and these are just facts ladies and gentlemen don't get mad at me about them up in Mauna Loa, where we keep track of how many parts per million there are carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, yesterday morning, the number was about 421 parts per million. That um, 
Where's Bill McKibben? Right. Bill McKibben founded an organization. I don't know. He's tw- mad. He's <laughs> mad at where he is. <laughs> he's got to re- change ago. his name. 20 years ago, that started out, name was 350. Because he said, hey, at, at anything above 350 parts per million, everything's sunk. The world is over. We're all going to wind up dead. We're not just a little bit over that. We're now full 20% over it. And every year it keeps climbing. So but here's my here's Did you my hear point. Special Envoy Kerry? Did no, you hear what no, he said? No, Trillions. I pay no attention to him. I pay no attention to him because he because he, he is nothing. He says nothing. Explain the floods in Western New York. It, they're floods. Come on. They had rain. Um, and before we get to the next story or the next story or the next story, let me just say one other thing. There's going to be stories about it's the hottest day ever. Ladies and gentlemen, this is again a fact. It's an unfortunate it one, but it's, more it's hot. Yeah, it's a fact. The world has been a lot hotter. The world has been a lot colder. Carbon dioxide has been more higher concentration. Carbon dioxide has been lower concentration. And you know what? We're not sure like the exact relationship between any of that stuff, and it doesn't really matter. Here's the important thing to know: that if you are putting your tr- confidence in the current regime. The current regime to reduce all this stuff, you've been failing for 30 years. You need a new regime. And that guy at United, guess what? He's not going to be part of it because he's just a propagandist. Well, go ahead. I'm again, sorry to interrupt. I, as I have stated repeatedly, so much fun. none of these guys are going to be around when the bill comes due. None of the politicians and none of the CEOs of the publicly Shut traded up, companies. Tom. Shut up, man. Sustainable aviation fuel is going to solve our problem. <laughs> Uh, UA had one of its worst weeks ever, but let's blame climate change. Yeah, well, that's my favorite part of these promises that, you know, promise to do something by 2050. Like, I I hereby promise to stop eating McDonald's by the year 2060. Right now. I'll make that pledge. So as long as you eat your last burger on December 31st. Exactly. But between here and 2060, probably, probably once a week, if I'm being honest. We got kids at home. Seriously. All right, gang. <clears throat> Axios, our favorite publication. <laughs> the world's greatest headline. <laughs> <laughs> unsold yesterday. Unsold electric cars are piling up on dealer lots. The auto industry is beginning to crank out yeah. more electric vehicles. Ah, you screwed up. Read the headline first. Well, I did. Oh, they che- this is a different headline in like the in, than I saw originally. Oh, they A-B tested you? You didn't even know? Yeah, they did because the original headline was like, we're making plenty of EVs. It's the buyers. It's just nobody buying, <laughs> nobody buying them. Yeah, them. I think I saw that I'm one just too. Like, what kind of headline is that? <laughs> they probably reviewed it and said, "Yeah, that yeah, might, it was a that harsh. might make podcast fodder on the unregulated <laughs> podcast." The auto industry is beginning to crank out more EVs to challenge Tesla, but there's one big problem. Lay it on me. Not enough buyers. What? The growing mismatch between EV supply and demand is a sign. That even though consumers are showing more interest in EVs, they're still wary about purchasing one because of price price, or charging concerns. I think they're worried about thunderstorms. I think they're worried about spontaneous fires. They're worried about thunderstorms. I think they're worried about range If we had sustainable issues, aviation fuel, we wouldn't have to worry about EVs. All right. <clears throat> EV sales, which account for about 6.5% of the U.S. auto market so far this year, are expected to surpass 1 million units for the first time in 2023, Cox forecasts. A Cox survey found that 51% of consumers are now considering either a new or used EV, up from 38%. 
Yes, but sales aren't keeping up with that increased output. The nationwide supply in EVs in stock has swelled to nearly 350% this year to more than 92,000 units. So um, keep, keep reading, keep reading, keep reading. a 92-day supply, roughly three months worth of EVs sitting on a lot. I feel, I don't know, I'm not in the auto business, I'm not a dealer, but I feel like that's the kiss of death for an auto yeah, dealership. 90, so. For comparison, dealers have a relatively low 54 days worth of gas-powered vehicles in inventory as they rebound from pandemic-related supply chain interruptions. Yeah, yeah. This, this, is, this is not sustainable, obviously. Yay. I, I want to go on a rant. I'll keep it short, Tom. I promise. No, no, you're good. No. You're good. We got time to kill. No, we don't. Who taught this reporter economics? Has this reporter ever taken economics? It's like, you know what the big barrier is to this whole consumer demand thing? It's price. I'm like, <laughs> dude, it's baked it's baked into the demand curve. Like what what are you what are you looking at? The the other part I love is people want to buy them. They say they want to buy them. But they're not buying them. I don't understand. Yeah. Is it perhaps an inferior product? Yeah, I'm looking forward to the BYD on cars when they show up next year. BYD is, of course, the um, communist Chinese electric vehicle. Um, and the firm itself is run by a bunch of colonels from the People's Liberation Army. When that shows up, I'm looking forward to dealers explaining that to people. Hey, man. Come and buy a car from genocidal China. Well, I it's your had, big chance. I had an article on that, so we can pass on it. BYD surpassed. Well, Chinese auto Be companies now have become yes the largest market. Yeah, they'd be, they Chinese owned EV companies are now outpacing Western sales in China, which is was which has been a very important source of our of our exports. So. And of course, if you're China and you don't have oil, then, and you're also a communist and you get to tell your people, you know, basically how to live their lives, which this, this administration is seeking to do, you would want it, it would be in your strategic natural interest, national interest to use vehicles that burn coal as opposed to burning oil. And, and you control 15 of the 19 cobalt mines yeah, in the Democratic like Republic that. of the Congo. So. Which leads me to the article on, this goes all the way back to July 2, uh, CNBC. Dun, 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 With dun, dun, dun. just 8% of new vehicles costing under $30,000, it's, quote unquote, it's the least affordable car market in modern history, experts say. By nearly every measure, buying a car has become extremely expensive. New vehicle prices are near all-time highs. Interest rates to refinance have jumped dramatically. Now affordable new cars even hit the mark. Now fewer affordable new cars even hit the market at all, according to recent reports. I will, I will say what I always say. We need, to, we need to repeal CAFE. The law was a mistake. Anytime you cross-subsidize, you make a mistake. If we didn't have CAFE, I bet you, I bet your prices would come down. So for new cars, the average transaction price is now $47,892. Now 10% of all vehicles sold cost more than $70,000. I'm surprised it's that small. Up from 3%. Yeah, I'm, I have to be honest. I'm surprised it's that small because basically you can't buy a decent pickup truck or Suburban for less than eighty grand. 
I'm just anecdotal evidence here, but I am fixing my old car right now instead of buying a new one. Cause you know, it's that's, it's, it's anecdotal, it's just, but it's also aggregated across I the, I feel like a lot of people are in the industry. same boat where it's just not in the budget to go get a new yeah, car of right course. now. Of course. All right, I had some other stuff on this, but let's let's move on. It's uh, let's move off of cars. It's enough. We, don't we want to talk about how bad it's going to get? No, we, we don't can. know how bad it's going to get. We don't know how bad it's going to get. Environmental Protection Agency rules we coming in. No, no, no. We're, we're in no particular hurry. All right. <laughs> we, we, we'll talk about we that. talked about it. It's at the bit. proposed rule stage. We'll talk about it. When we no, no. We got to see what What do you want us to say? That EPA wants to get rid of internal combustion engines? There you go. They do. That they want to mandate electric vehicles. They do. That these vehicles are going to rely upon slaving genocidal communist China for lithium and cobalt and copper and all kinds of different things. They are. That we're going to be dependent on people who do not like us and do not meet us well. We are. That Kids the, in the Congo are going to be buried alive and they're going to call it artisanal mining. That families in the Congo wade into pools of toxic metals every day just so we can have cobalt to fire up our phones and our cars, our electric vehicles. They do. That Team Biden knows all this and doesn't care about most of it. True. Um, that the automakers are complicit. True. That companies like Apple and Google are complicit and make money off it. True. Ladies and gentlemen, this podcast will never be sponsored by an auto company or a tech company. I'm or looking, a pharmaceutical company, uh, or a. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking for. I'm looking forward to not taking any money from the tech tech guys because I don't really think they're good for America in the long run. I have complete confidence that the automakers are eventually going to wind up on the right side of this. I don't know how, and I don't know I when, know and I don't know by whom. Save our cars coalition. But I know that at some point, Mary Barra is not going to be the CEO of General Motors, and things will be put right, because that's that's what God's going to want. And All right. If so that, you, if that means the bankruptcy of General Motors, then that's what you it's brought up be. Beijing. So I do have to run this article. Play it on me, this kid. This was FT, July sixth. Tesla and Chinese rivals signal EV price war truce in quote unquote socialist values pledge. <laughs> Beijing orchestrates commitment among manufacturers in the world's largest electric vehicle market. Elon Musk's Tesla has joined Chinese automakers Oof. in pledging to enhance quote-unquote core socialist values and compete fairly in the country's car market after Beijing directed the industry to rein in a months-long price war. Tesla and its biggest Chinese rival, BYD, BYD. were among 16 manufacturers to make the commitment in a letter Signed at a conference in Shanghai on Thursday, it follows a battle among automakers of EVs after Tesla slashed prices on a Model 3, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. You feel so fulfilling. That, those of us who fulfilling love your the prophecy. free speech absolutist Elon Musk, I have to remind you that he's also one of the biggest and most effective uh, abusers of the of the process known as politics and government he, to enrich himself. He is a, he is in fact a plutocrat. I'm shocked. All right. Before we move off of energy and yes. invest in finals gang. No, you good. No, I'm just, I'm still in shock after that last one. I, I don't know how I missed that article, but the, geez, this is what is why like, 
we have socialist the values. Podcast. You had to like pledge to commit to socialist yes. values, and then it's basically like a price fixing cartel yes. among EV. How's that? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold on. Here, don't get don't get all excited about it. I'm going to hand this to you. you. Take this article I'm, home and you. read it. How is that different? When how? you scroll Twitter tonight and see all his feeds on free speech, remember. Just that remember one. this. By the way, how's that different than like the bailout of our car companies, who had to agree to all kinds of communist stuff to get their money? It's the same. It's the same. Look, automakers are in real trouble in this country. And I'm not talking about they're not making money. I'm sure they're making money. They're in real moral trouble. They've lost their way. And you know what? Companies that lose their way eventually wind up falling over. Go ahead, Tom. Give me the next thing. Uh, let's switch over to the war between... The war on the shore. Between Donald J. Trump and Ron DeSantis. Oh, boy. Okay. Uh, Washington Examiner, July 10th, yesterday. This is the least interesting part of my life. Trump leading Ron DeSantis in home state despite slight drop. It's not even a Former good. President Donald Trump holds a substantial lead over Governor Ron DeSantis. Who wrote this? Florida's, Who wrote this? Uh, I don't have it on here. Sorry. All right, right, go ahead. That's okay. Keep going. Nobody. They just posted it up. No, I'm sure someone did. When I switch over to the it's okay. page view, it kills the author for some reason. The Florida Atlantic University Main Street Polcom Lab survey showed that Trump remains 20% percentage points ahead of DeSantis in his home state with the former at 50 and the latter at 30. Yep. So Trump is... I'm sorry, Trump's home state of New, of New York? Trump's home, new home state. Of Florida. Yeah, by the way, I drove past Mar-a-Lago. Just checking. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Stunning. Stunning facility. I wasn't invited in because I'm not a member, but uh, anyway, um, okay, so I have a theory on this. And by the way, either of them destroy Biden in Florida. The, the numbers are like, why would, if I was a Floridian who was digging Trump and DeSantis, why wouldn't I pick Trump over DeSantis to be the nominee? Because if you pick DeSantis and he's the nominee, then he's no longer the governor. So I don't know. I'm not sure if that that poll is worth anything. I, I don't know. Uh, all I know is that at this point, Jeb Bush was going to be president. So I'm not really worried about this stuff yet. <laughs> okay, I got one more, but this or is. Or if you'd rather, if you'd rather play the 2012 game at this point, Rudy Giuliani was going to be president. So he will. He decided to skip all the primaries except for Florida. Except for Florida. And I, I'm so. just saying, you know, there's all there's all kinds of ways you can lose this all right, thing. So. Do you have any thoughts about this what new, if, new co-host, Travis Fisher, from... What if Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis just trade places? Ron DeSantis can be president, and Trump can be governor of Florida. I don't... <laughs> I guess Siri wants in on that Siri action. On Siri thought I was asking her the question. Yeah. I, I mean... It, it... All right. Who has a better chance of beating Biden? Trump or DeSantis? DeSantis. Okay. The only way Trump wins, the only way Trump can win, he's already lost to the guy by six million votes, right? The only the only thing that's different is everybody now knows that Biden's a suboptimal president, right? And is probably in the middle of some pretty serious physical and cognitive decline. But you know what the funny thing is? For all we know, Trump's going to be in the middle of some serious physical and cognitive decline. Oh, in he the looks second pretty term. energized. He's out there. He's doing. He's doing. He, it. He's doing. He, he, he looks better. He. He looks for a little while there. I think he was start. I was starting better. to wonder, but, but he's but got you know his. Stella's got his groove back. Yeah. The, the reality of it is, old guys go over the cliff pretty quick. Like, uh, you know, just like Biden. So anyway, you see him at that 
MMA deal. He was. And he looked top he looked, of the game. He looked top of his game. Yeah, like, like he I was said, back running the WWF. But you know, he's so. not going to be president now. He's going to be president five years from now. Come back to me on that. So yeah, but nobody votes five to five year interests. I agree. So. But you know what? Biden's already beat him by six million votes. So somewhere, and, and it's not like there's going to be a bunch of people defecting to Trump. He's going to need a third party. It's going to have to be a competitive third party. You know, you, no matter how you look at the campaign, that you keep coming back to that. The only DeSantis is the only guy who could beat Biden one on one. I don't what know the, that. Maybe Vivek Ramaswamy. Well, I was—I asked it was between those two, but I think of I, the field. Yeah, what the survey work tells you to date is Biden consistently runs about six points better than Trump against Biden. He just does. And that's why the Dems want Trump, right? Of course. Of course, they they read those surveys too, right? I always thought a big variable was the legal issues. You, you guys called it that, that Trump was going to get a, a bump as soon as he got indicted. That I mean, who gave him that bump? Was it people who already liked him? They just liked him a little bit more. I don't see I don't see you winning the middle if you're if you have legal no, trouble. but it makes you it makes it makes you more intense among your your right. supporters, right? Anybody who had any doubts is like, which is the only thing that matters in the primary, right? That's right. right. That's right. It it. it so how how did that polling come out in the general? Did it did it was it, it didn't really was affect it a downtick? It, it didn't, didn't really affect, affect it at all because when you make people think about a general election, they're like, uh, that guy. You know, it, it 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 Trump was a better president than Biden, right? But even with that, he still runs six points behind him. I'm sorry. Well, I'm sorry. I, well hold on. He yeah. still runs three points behind him, which is what he lost by three points, six million votes, right? Out of about you know um, yeah. 160 million cast. So it, it it's – and that those numbers haven't changed a lot in the last, what, six months that, that's been going we, on now. We don't often have a former running against a, for, a current. Right? It's happened five times. Right, but in modern. It's happened actually across – it's happened five times in the last couple – since the Civil War. I think it's happened eight altogether. Um, but – Meaning, like, if if it was anyone else in the field, they would be running against Biden's record, and they would say, "I would do it differently." Yeah, Biden. Right. right. Your point is Trump doesn't. Trump Trump is not running like he has a record, but he does. Right. And they they just they don't campaign just doesn't seem to get that at all. Right. Or maybe they understand it, and his, his voters don't care. Right. But that's not an expand the vote strategy. So anyway. Long, long time Never, away. We, I was going to say, uh, that's why I'm that's why hesitant to, to talk about Our friend campus. Ari, this is actually, I wanted to bring this up. I saw it last minute. Our friend Ari Natter at Bloomberg wrote a piece. DeSantis says no thanks to $377 million in federal energy funds. Majority of funds earmarked for energy efficiency rebates. Move comes as Biden lauds climate law benefits. So uh, quietly, DeSantis quietly rejected hundreds of millions of dollars in federal energy funding. The total 377 included uh, energy efficiency rebates, electrification as part of the IRA, as well as money from the in infrastructure law that became president and uh, that became law in 2021. So, but DeSantis is actually talking the talk, whereas the the Georgia governor, the Tennessee governor, uh, some of these other red state governors are like. I'll take the money. So they're playing right into Biden's hand where, you know, oh, they'll oppose me, but they'll take my ribbon cuttings and whatnot. So I I applaud. The well, it's the same as the folks in Congress, too, right? They voted against it. And now they're doing the they they, they want to do the ribbon cutting ceremony when the thing opens, but they voted against it. 
Yeah, and just following in the, in the proud tr footsteps of Rick Scott, who turned all the train money away yeah. from the federal government as well. Yeah. So it, it, you know. more proof that these guys are competent governors who are, are looking long term. I think that's why the I think that's why the Republicans own Florida now. It's not there's no magic to it. I think they're just they've had a string of good governors who've done well, right? It, it's competence. I say this all the time. Competence is appealing to people. They like it. They like, hey, that guy seems like he's not going to drive me and my family off Case a cliff. Point. My cousin, him and I don't agree on anything, and he personally is not a fan. But he's like, he's done a good job. Done a good state. job. Yeah, and that's and so, you know. So the default right away is like, if that guy's thinking with a hundred points in his head, a guy like DeSantis already got seventy of those points, right? Somebody's gonna have to come in and explain. No, no, no. You've thought about it all wrong. He's actually incompetent. People are really resistant to that kind yeah. of conversation. Yeah. But now the, the left can pick on them for the social stuff. But yeah, nobody cares about that for the most part, except people already people already signed up, right? So apparently boomers are actually okay after all. This is according to Daily Mail yesterday. The great wealth transfer boomers to pass on record breaking fifty-three trillion dollars to their grant to their children by twenty forty-five. What, in what experts have called the greatest wealth transfer in history. The generation who are aged between 59 and 77 today are famed for benefiting from great social mobility when house prices were low and labor conditions strong, and now they're transferring their money to their less economically fortunate children. Oh, boy. <laughs> so this, I'm actually, this is a good article for the show notes because, uh, it has a whole bunch of stuff here on tax avoidance, which I'm a big fan of. So I'm going to put, make sure you guys pick up this article and read it. So the boomers aren't so bad after all, taking I, care I, of their I, deadbeat I, children. I, I, I just, you know, I listen. First off, I knew about this, right? You just transfer wealth and it's going to be pretty impressive, right? Second off, and I don't know how to say this the right way, so I'm just going to say it. And, and I want, especially my children who may or may not be listening to this podcast, to listen close. <laughs> it's not our fault. You guys need to buck up and start working. I was working two jobs when I was your age. I was walking uphill ten in miles, ten miles to school. Uphill walking, both ways. Uphill both ways in the snow. I didn't own a pair of shoes till I was forty. <laughs> that was my very first thought on this. I was like, "That's a lot of money. That's going to be. We're already lazy. We're going to get even lazier. I'll bet this you, is going to be bad. I'll bet you fifty bucks. I'll bet you. You know what? Forget fifty. I'll bet you fifty thousand bucks that the the recipients of that cash are going to be recipients of free cash. Always are mostly ungrateful. And somewhat chippy. It's going to be a bunch of capitalism <laughs> haters. It's going to be like all these yeah. family foundations that, you know. They're going to spend the money doing good. It goes back to my point. I know your point. Let's not bring it up again. It's sad. Take, it's the, mo take the money away right, from so these guys. Definitely read this article, listeners, because if you do have any scratch, you, you, you definitely can take advantage of some of this avoidance, tax avoidance strategies. I got one more. So uh, what do you guys have? Any best and finals? And then we're going to go to the close. I was going to say the best tax avoidance strategy is to never let Mike McKenna be in charge because he's everything above a billion dollars. There it goes. He's gonna take I don't know. It. I don't know how many billionaires we got right now, but uh, there's a th there's 169 billionaires in this country. It's obscene. It's ridiculous. 
No, I don't know the number, but I think what did Biden say that one time? It was like a, a thousand billionaires or something like that. There's probably six hundred billionaires. I have to say this, and and I, no one will dispute me. No one has yet disputed me. If you think about any public policy issue, any public policy issue, the people on the wrong side of it are invariably funded by foundations and rich dudes. That was an article I was going to put in here. We'll save for next week because the Beacon you. did a. Really nice. I know hit they piece did a nice. Arabella. Did you it wasn't see a that? hit piece. It was just accurate. Well, no, I'm, I know. But... And, and they pointed out that the guys at Arabella are bad for the country. Yes. I'm not, I'm not sure if you're not, if you're supposed to support goods and tax bads, then my, my, my approach is the only one that works. I understand why you guys are opposed to it. Hey, I'm coming around. You're wearing me down, but I'm not there quite yet. Everyone, sh everyone. Because people will just figure out how to like, yeah, I understand that. I understand. Take all of it. Allow no one, allow no one with an EIN more than a billion dollars ever, ever. I don't know. Like, this is a slippery slope. You well, start with the billionaires, then you come after the thousandaires, and then, then I'm in the crosshairs at some point. I doubt it very seriously. You're not going to make a billion dollars. No, no. Dollars. Biden promised you'll. It's a nice Biden bright line, a billion dollars. Okay. All right. Biden promised to protect And you know what else? You know what else? Take endowments away from universities and foundations. Tax those just like you tax normal people. Harvard's got an endowment of $250 billion, for goodness sake. What do they need $250 billion for? You, you want to talk about concentration of wealth in this country? And I'm like Bernie Sanders. I want to talk about concentration of wealth. You want to talk about income inequality in this country? The biggest income inequality is between foundations and the rest of us. I'm telling has, you. Has Harvard come out with its plan yet? To, this is going to be my retirement gig. It's going to reject federal funds so it can go back to being very racist. No, that, that was the, that's the whole idea. No, but it, they should. It would be fun like to they're watch. They're only on the hook for this. Uh, you know, do, you, do can we can we diverge for a second? We here? can. This is going to be a long one this All week. All right, I'll tell We're you, we're not going to cut a thing. So I'll tell you, suck it up, gang. A significant a significant chunk of the and one of the one of my friends in an Ivy League admissions office explained this to me. One of the reasons why they have resisted. Um, reducing affirmative action or changing affirmative action is because they legacy. they do not well eh, they, they're fine admitting legacies right legacies are only about 20 percent of the student body big chunk man. it's a big chunk and but that's that's affirmative action what what worries them is is that if they admit when they when they have to admit or if they admit 40 percent a class that's 40 percent asian american right um, what they know is that asian americans do not give as alums they do not give. Because they're smart. Well, because they view it as the Asian Americans view these relationships as much more transactional than, well, than other all, people. Of course. Not all, you're but not, just. You're just, not stereotyping. You're just saying, as a general as a general, rule. Yes, of course. As a general rule. And you know, the funny thing is, all these guys, <laughs> Harvard, Penn. Travis is like, am I allowed to be on this podcast? <laughs> you know, as a general rule, my friends at Harvard, Penn, my brand new energized heterosexual community at Brown, um, you know, they, they, <laughs> They, um, you know, they have lots of data on it, right? And so that's, that, that was, it was all about donations. It's all it's, about the Benjamins. It's all about money. It's all it's all about, about money. That's why I despise rich people. Go ahead. All right. The wealthy, the millionaires and the billionaires. Bernie Sanders being doing a, just fine. Bernie Sanders being a proud millionaire himself. 999 millionaires are doing just fine. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's not bad, right? It's, not it's bad. pretty. It's good. It's good. Hey, you do good, Bernie. All right, thanks. Good. All right, so I got one more here, ladies and gentlemen. Lay it on me. This is a doozy. Axios reports that pickleball Yikes. is impacting the healthcare system. A spike in injuries from pickleball surge in popularity is driving up medical costs. What injuries? Possibly to the tune of half a billion dollars, according to a new report. Why it matters? Because that's it's a fraction of what would be raised under my tax. Pickleball is the nation's fastest growing sport. It's not a sport. But it comes with few, with a few unintended consequences. Pickleball injuries are creating 250 million to 500 million in medical costs annually. UBS analyst Andrew Moak estimated after assessing data from Sports and Fitness Industry Association and studies about the sport. 80% of the costs are for outpatient treatment, while Medicare is picking up 85% of the tab. What With are we more than about? eight in ten pickleball patients over sixty years old, the UBS analyst estimates. What are they all walking away with? Twenty-two point three million people are expected to play pickleball this year, up from eight point nine million in twenty twenty-two and three point five million in twenty nineteen. This sport is growing exponentially. It's not a sport, and it's, nobody gets paid to play it, so it's not a sport. Come on, man! And that the other thing is, yeah. what are they what all? Are you gonna who? What, what are we going to blame it on? What are they all? Climate change. Oh, that probably is. That probably does have That's definitely climate change. Everyone's that moving. That, it makes the the, the clay uh, quartz slick. Right. I assume we're talking about a bunch of sprained ankles and, and wrists. Probably playing oh. pickleball instead of tennis because it's a smaller court. You don't people have to playing, as much because it's people so are playing the number. 85% of, of the tab comes from Medicare. So people are playing pickleball playing instead pickleball? of old but, people because they can't run. Are we talking <laughs> sprained ankles? What's the injury Yeah, of course we're here, talking right? about sprained What's, ankles. We're talking about a bunch of old geezers who sprained an ankle. I haven't played pickleball, but at some point I... I probably will pick it up. So you want to know I, the real I, risk? I, I want to know the risk. Here's just, the real risk to pickleball. Like just stretch. The, the real risk Being to pickleball. <laughs> no, the real risk to pickleball is is that your neighbors go slowly insane, and take out a gun and shoot everybody on the pickleball court because they are loud. Hmm. They are loud, and they are play. They play all the time. All right. You you talk to anybody who lives next to a pickleball court. They talk to you about homicide all the time. Are the people at Brown University playing just, more pickleball? Is this... just, just don't forget to stretch, guys. Just stretch. You'll be fine. Ladies and gentlemen, don't send your kids to Brown, whatever you do. I, said, right. th I said this last week in the podcast, by the way. We got to get out of here. Know. It's hot in this room, and I need more bourbon. Travis Fisher, thank you very much for agreeing at the last minute to this change in format instead of a what would have otherwise been an insightful and educational interview from you about energy, electricity. It's turned into a drunken melee. Into a drunken fest. <laughs> drunken melee. Amongst friends, and I think our listeners are much happier for it. I so. prefer this too. Appreciate it. All right. Co-host Travis Fisher, everyone, thank you very much. Yay. And we are going to come out of this podcast almost the way we come out every week because it just keeps getting better oh, and no. better. And I have a strong feeling Let's have this it. is her greatest hit. Let's have it. Well, I think culture is, it, it is a reflection of our moment and our time, right? And, and, and present culture is the way we express how we're feeling about the moment. And, and we should always find times to express how we feel about the moment that is a reflection of joy because Every, it, you know, it comes in the morning. <laughs> <laughs>
we have to find ways to also express the way we feel about the moment in terms of just having language and, and, and a connection to how people are experiencing life. And I think about it in that way too. God almighty. Vice President, heartbeat away from the presidency, reflecting on our moment of our time and the present culture, the way we express how we're feeling about the moment. And I'm having a moment as a result. Comes in the morning. <laughs> That's it, ladies and gentlemen. Number 139 is in the books. Who brought the Coke to the White House? Gee, I wonder. I... Namaste. <laughs> <laughs>